0: I hope you guys know Eddie. (laughs) I hope y'all actually know him, not just from when he sings on Sundays, but but you actually get to know him, because he's probably one of the funniest people in our entire congregation. Uh, And you've probably heard all of his jokes at least once or twice. But, you know, I feel like I have too, but he just keeps pulling them out, you know? And I'm like, where is this coming from, right? Um, But uh, I'm thankful for you, brother. I'm going to pull out one of your jokes this morning. (laughs) So... This is, uh, this is one I've heard, uh, heard Eddie say before, and uh, it's one of those that kind of gets serious at the end, right? But uh, he tells a story about a preacher who comes to a church, and he preaches a sermon, and they, I guess it's in view of a call. I'm probably going get, to get it wrong, but you can ask Eddie about it later. And so the preacher comes to the church, and they like a sermon. They, they say, all right, this is good stuff. They, they vote on him. He becomes their pastor, and the next Sunday... He preaches the exact same sermon. And they don't think much about it. They kind of move on, I guess. And the next Sunday, he preaches the same sermon. And then again and again, for I don't know how many weeks. How many weeks is it, day? Enough, right? A lot. And so after some time, you know, they, they get together and we're like, you know, we like everything you're doing, we, you know, you're, 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 you're doing well, but, but can you give us something else, right? You kind of keep preaching the same sermon. And the preacher says, well, as soon as you listen and obey the first sermon, I'll move on to the next one, right? And so, uh, maybe you've heard Eddie tell that one. Uh, I like it. Pretty good, right? I feel like Genesis 20 is a repeat of Genesis chapter 12. I told uh, Nathaniel this week I could just pull out my notes, you know, and I could just re-preach the same thing. Perhaps there is something we need to hear again that the Lord wants to remind us from the previous sermon that you didn't listen to. Or I don't know, maybe not. There's a lot of nuances in in Genesis chapter 20 compared to chapter 12. Um, Chapter 20, you know, from last week, Joey's coveted sermon, uh, we uh, preached on Sodom and Gomorrah and its destruction. So getting into chapter 20, Moses is sort of turning our attention towards the future of Israel, towards the future of Abraham and and his children. Um, He's helping us move on from what happened. Um... And in chapter 20, after chapter 19, you know, my heart kind of wants this to be like a great reunion for Lot and Abraham, right? Like, that's what you think is coming next. Um, Like Jacob and Esau were reunited. You think Lot and and Abraham are going to reunite after all this, but that's not what we get, is it? Lot stays in Zoar as a fearful cave dweller with his incestuous children, and... It's not even clear that Abraham knows that Lot's alive. You know? It's just kind of the end of that. Um, and this reminds us how destructive sin is. We don't always get the happy ending like we think, do we? It's, it's a sad ending. Um, but the, the story goes on. And, and so Moses keeps writing, and, and we keep listening to the history, and, and we're faced with the reality of our consequences, of our sins, and, and we have to face them and, and, and move on, right? I, I think this kind of teaches us we need to move forward at some point. We can't dwell in despair forever because of what has happened. Um, we have to move on, which is what Abraham does. Uh, maybe you've heard this quote from John Piper. Occasionally, weep deeply deeply. Over the life you hoped would be. Grieve the losses. Then wash your face. Trust God. And embrace the life you have. So here's Abraham doing exactly that. Perhaps the the burning and sulfur was too much for him to handle. Uh, Thinking of what had took place not far from him. And so he moves on. Uh, But unfortunately in chapter 20 there is more sin for us to deal with. This does seem a little repetitive. He makes the same mistake twice that I mentioned from uh, chapter 12 when they went to Egypt. He does the exact same thing again. So we get to chapter 20 and we're like, all right, the title of this sermon is let's beat up on Abraham again, right? He, he did the same mistake, so let's just make fun of him. Uh, and, and we do get to make fun of Abraham today. But uh, more than that, we, we see this passage of conflict and we almost get the message of the entire Bible here in chapter 20. Um, Abraham journeys to a land for a fresh start. Creation. Abraham lies about Sarah and is caught in his deception. The fall of man. The Lord intervenes in bringing sovereign reconciliation and redemption in this story. The gospel, right? And then, of course, we end with Abraham and Abimelech. Not only becoming reconciled, but living together in the same land as brothers. That's restoration. That's fellowship. That's the end of the story, right? So this is history as we know it through the Bible. It's also the outline for our text today. And our point is this. We must beware the dangers of our sin in reference to God's plans. But also remain confident in His sovereignty and be ready to make things right for His glory. So the first point is, we're going to skip over creation. Go straight to deception. Deception. We've got one and two on the screen here. Um, Moses summarizes the sin pretty quick. Just two verses, right? It's written quickly, but we don't need to read over it quickly. Um, can't teach an old dog new tricks. Right? Abraham's got a plan, and he's sticking to it. When we go to a new place, we say we're brother and sister. To make sure they don't covet your beauty and kill me so they can have you. Right? This is our plan, and we're sticking to it. Egypt was scary. He thought they'd kill him. And we say, but Abraham, don't you remember that God sent a plague over all of Egypt to protect you and Sarah? And don't you remember how awful you felt after you did that? How you had to repent of your sins and build an altar to the Lord? And don't you remember that God made a covenant with you, and that covenant cannot be broken? Don't you remember these things? These are the things we remind Abraham of, but they're the very things we ought to be reminding ourselves of. You and I are likely to repeat the same sins over and over unless we get used to preaching to ourselves. Dear self, do you know the consequences of your sin? Do you know how impossible it is to hide anything from the Lord? Do you know that your sin is deadly? And will destroy your life. This is self-destructive. And do you know that Jesus died for your sin? That you might live in his freedom. And overcome temptation through the power of the spirit. All of us are preachers. And we are our primary audience. If only we would preach to ourselves. But both times. Egypt and in Gerar. What was the root of the sin? In Abraham's life. I believe it was the fear of man. The fear of man. Abraham sinned because he feared man more than he feared God. It's a fearful thing to go to a foreign land where you don't know anybody and you're the outsider and you don't don't trust these people, right? I get that. But Paul teaches that fear of man ought to be one of the first things to go after we come to Christ, after we're born again. He writes in Galatians 1 on the screen here. For I am now seeking the approval of man... For am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Am I trying to please man? If if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Fear of man will get us into all kinds of trouble and lead us down a yoke of slavery that God literally came to earth and died for to free us from. But Father Abraham, the great warrior from the Battle of the Kings, right? He comes to Gerar, And he risks it all just days away before the promise is fulfilled and Isaac is supposed to come by letting his wife be whisked away into Abimelech's harem. And like Adam and Eve, Sarah would feel the loneliness of the wilderness after their cowardly sin. Fearing man will ruin our lives if we let it. Don't fear man. Thankfully for Abraham, the Lord intervenes. Number two, intervention. Intervention. Look at verse 3. The text says, God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now, Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say she is my sister and herself say she, he is my brother? The integrity of my heart, the innocence of my hands, I have done this. The Lord says, of course, yes, I know you've done this in the integrity of your heart. God comes to Abimelech, king of Gerar, who doesn't know Yahweh from Adam, right? Now, hold on, let's go to the KJV. It probably says Abraham. He goes to Abraham, right? Not Abimelech. What does it say? No, he goes to Abimelech in a dream. Right? Right? Plot twist, didn't see that coming. And I'm just like, God literally does whatever he wants, doesn't he? Egypt, he's like, plague, plague, plague. Here he shows up in a dream to Abimelech, this foreign king. And I think of Psalm 105, it tells us how the Lord protects his children. Psalm 105 says, when they were few in number of little account... And sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people. He allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account. And here is what the psalmist tells us about. He's literally rebuking a king for the sake of his children. The Lord does whatever he wants. Isaac's coming, and he's not going to let man get in the way. God says to Abimelech, you're a dead man. You're a dead man. Sarah, the woman you've just taken, she's another man's wife. Now Moses inserts his commentary, He tells us, you know, they didn't, he didn't touch her, right? He, he'd not approached her. He'd not even come near her, is what the text literally says. But God's immediate rebuke of Abimelech gives us some good teaching here. First of all, God's will trumps man's will every time, no matter what. Take it to the bank. God's will trumps man's will. Right? The great king, Abimelech, stands no chance against El Shaddai. He thinks he can have any woman he wants, but this one is off limits. God makes that clear. Abimelech is as good as dead if he thinks he can get in the way of God's will. And you and I, are as good as dead if we think we can get in the way of God's will and His sovereign plan. Second thing here, God absolutely hates adultery. God absolutely hates adultery. Now some commentators say Abimelech wasn't trying to take Sarah as a wife, right? Just more like a servant, a matronly kind of political move. She was 100 years old after all, right? Was there a lot of beauty left in there? I don't know. Some commentators would argue not. But, What does Abimelech say? Or what does God say? You've taken another man's wife. This is a wife we're talking about. Regardless of Abimelech's intentions, if they were sexual or political, God hated it. And God hates it when we covet our neighbor's wife. And God hates it when we lust over pornography and God hates it when we look at anyone in an unfaithful manner in marriage. If we practice adultery, the Bible says we are dead men. We are dead men. We must be faithful. But Abimelech says, "I'm innocent, right? I'm innocent, God. Look at my hands, look at my heart. Will you destroy an innocent people?" He said, "She was a sister." She said that he, you know, he, he was her brother. That's what they said. Did I do anything wrong? And I think uh, John Calvin you know, makes the point that there's a difference between a fault and a crime. He doesn't say he's not at fault, but he says, I haven't committed a crime. God says, I do see your heart. I know that you didn't know. And this shows us that Abimelech, whom Abraham uh, was certain would be a foul, ruthless, manslaughterer, was actually a God-fearing person. He responds to the Lord's dream with fear and reverence and respect, doesn't he? In fact, he asks the same question that Abraham asked in chapter 18. Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Will you kill me and all my people, innocent, doing no sin against you? Abimelech supposes the highest judgment upon this holy God who he just met. Abraham was wrong to presume wickedness on the king. So now we have a bona fide mess, right? This evil king Abimelech ain't so bad after all. And Abraham turned out to be the real problem here. Oh, how much we could avoid by simply trusting the Lord rather than presuming things upon people. Do you think someone has a problem with you? Genesis chapter 20 is a command from God this morning that you go and talk to them directly. You're not posting garbage on social media. You're not talking about others behind their back. If there's a problem, if there's conflict, you settle it. You grow up. You don't lie about it. You don't maneuver. You don't be passive aggressive. It doesn't make things better. It makes things worse. Have a conversation. Be a Christian. Romans 12 teaches us exactly how to do this. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So far as it depends on who? Ball's in your court, brother. So far as it depends on you. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, you feed him. If he is thirsty, you give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, overcome evil with good. Regardless of who wronged who, I love how the Scriptures command us. It's up to us, the reader. Regardless of which side, you go and make things right. You live peaceably. You do the honorable thing. Which is exactly what God commands Abimelech to do. The honorable thing. Return Sarah to Abraham. And guess what's going to happen? He's going to pray for you and you're going to live. If you don't do this, you will die. You will surely die and all your people will die. And I think what's amazing in this passage, you see it all throughout, is that God is interacting sovereignly with the free will of man. It's Pretty phenomenal. God says, I kept you from touching Sarah. That was me. I didn't let you sin against me. I did that. I prevented it. And yet at the same time, God says, if you don't return her, you're dead. I'm going to kill you. It's up to you. It's your choice. Right? God is sovereignly interacting with free will still today. And did you know that having that hard conversation with someone may be the very sovereign hand of God interacting with your free will to make peace and show off His glory? Do you not believe that the Lord uses our choices for His own sovereign plans? I'll tell you what, the Holy Spirit certainly doesn't lead us further down the road of deception and division and enmity, does He? He leads us towards peace. He leads us towards holiness. He leads us towards truth. So be honest with people. Tell the truth. Don't be a liar. And God will use it for His glory. That's what we see in this text. If you want proof, let's read some more. Restitution, I'm calling this next point. Restitution. A little bit better than redemption for the, uh, for the context. Verse 8. So Abimelech rose early in the morning... And called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you've brought on me in my kingdom a great sin? You've done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see? That you did this thing. Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. So, Genesis chapter 20 is where we are. Um, We get to the confrontation here, right? And we think, here's the bloodbath coming. They're going to draw swords. Early in the morning, Abraham gets up. He tells all, or uh, Abimelech gets up and he tells all the people what God revealed to him in a dream get ready for the bloodbath, right? No. The people were very much afraid. They all turned out to be a God-fearing people, didn't they? And out of a right and reverent fear of the Lord, he goes directly to Abraham, which is something Abraham never had the guts to do with Abimelech. He goes directly to him early in the morning, and Abimelech is very tactful here. He asks questions rather than heaping up accusations What have you done? What did I do to you? That you did this? What did you see that made you do this? This is wrong. Why did you do it? Abraham finally chooses honesty over deception. He says, I did it because I thought you didn't fear the Lord. I presumptively acted that you did not know Yahweh, and you would not fear him, and I thought you would kill me for my wife. After all, she's my sister, daughter of my father. I thought we could get by with that. It's kind of what we've been doing every time we travel, a little, little deal we've worked out. I was wrong. You are obviously a God-fearing people. No swords drawn, no fist fighting, no blood. In fact, we have the exact opposite. Not only does Abimelech give Sarah back to Abraham, he gives sheep, oxen, and servants. And he says, here's my land. Live where you please. What's mine is yours. They made restitution. And he went so far as to give Sarah a thousand pieces of silver to say You are vindicated in the sight of all. Nothing foul happened here. I did not touch you. You are clean in the sight of everyone. They made things right by telling the truth. And what this shows us is that telling the truth is the first step towards making things right. If you don't tell the truth, you are not displaying a willful compliance with God's word. Telling the truth says, I stand on the promises of Scripture. I will tell the truth. After all, John wrote, 1 John 1, 8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive who? Ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. Friends, if you are a compulsive liar and you are prone to deceive others to better your standing or to deflect conflict, the Bible says the truth is not in you and you should fear death. You've made God out to be a liar. You've blasphemed His word and His grace. Why should He save you? Abraham made God out to be a liar in this passage. And the great irony here is that Abimelech had more integrity in his little pinky than Abraham uh, exuded the whole time. And that reflects poorly on Yahweh, doesn't it? So here's a good thing, here's good news. If, If you're a liar here this morning, God tells you exactly what to do. It's the same thing that Abraham did. That He and Sarah might be vindicated before the sight of all and be cleansed of their unrighteousness. Confess your sins. Confess your sins. And He is faithful. And He is just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. How does He do this, you ask? He does this by sending His one and only Son who had no deceit in His mouth. To the cross, like a lamb led to the slaughter, innocent in the sight of all, prophesied in Isaiah 53, fulfilled by the very words of his prosecutor Pontius Pilate, I find no guilt in this man. And he goes to the cross to bear the wrath that you and I deserve for us liars and perjurers and forgers and storytellers, deceivers, that we might be cleansed from all unrighteousness. Won't you confess your sins today? Unbeliever, come to Christ. Believe in the Son of God who died for your sins. Repent of your lying and be saved today. So we've got creation, fall, restitution. What's the last one? Restoration. Restoration. Verse 17 they gotta, they got to make things right. Abraham prayed to God. God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. The Lord had closed all the wombs of their house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. God said that Abraham would pray as a prophet if they would make things right. If they would go and talk this thing out. That's exactly what Abraham did. He prayed for Abimelech. Evidently, along with this terrifying vision in the night, the Lord had taken even more drastic measures to instill his authority over the land by making all the women barren. Abimelech himself was healed in some regard. Could not have children. I don't know how long this transpired, how long a time it was. But because of Sarah in their camp, no one was able to bear children. We find out this plague sort of at the end. Not Abimelech, not Abimelech's wife, none of their females. The Lord had closed all their wombs. And as the rivalry turns into a brotherhood, Abraham prayed for God to open their wombs again. And God did it. Alan Ross, a commentator that I've used for Genesis, uh, says, Intercessory prayer was the divinely appointed means for having the barrenness removed. That means that prayer does stuff. Right? Y'all with me? Prayer does stuff. God closed wombs as a sovereign act to safeguard against the future of Israel coming to nothing. And then God opened wombs as a sovereign act in response to prayer. God could have done it without prayer, but He didn't want to. Right? All was restored to natural order through prayer. You know that's what a miracle is, right? The restoration of what should be. Yeah. It's not that miraculous. Right. So here's two things. Prayer absolutely changes things. Do you believe that? Some of us are tempted not to pray at all. God's going to do what he wants anyway. I, you just said, Pastor Dale, I can't get in the way of God's sovereign will. Right? The Bible clearly teaches that it is through our own prayers that God delights to fulfill his promises. That means not praying. Not praying also changes things. We must pray. We must pray daily, seriously, specifically, and watchfully. God is not obligated to do anything that we ask of Him, but He delights to make His glory known through the heartfelt prayers of His saints. So folks, pray, because prayer changes things. And the second thing, prayer for one another is a sign of true fellowship. Prayer for one another is a sign of true fellowship. Isn't it interesting? Without prompting, Abraham's first move is to pray for Abimelech. Abimelech didn't ask for prayer. God didn't tell Abraham to pray. That was his first move. We're going to have real fellowship. We're going to have real relationship. We're going to share this land. I'm going to pray for you. He prayed. No prompting. And as Abraham looked on the forgiveness and the generosity that Abimelech was offering to him and Sarah, this was the most natural response The greatest gift he could give was to pray for Abimelech. And this is probably what it went like. Lord, Adonai, you have closed the wombs of this whole city due to my sin. My arrogance, my self-reliance and deceit has caused all of this to happen. Abimelech has done no wrong. Please, according to your steadfast love and unfathomable mercy, heal this people. Give them children again. Heal my new friend, Abimelech. Yes, amen. Do you know the humility that must have taken? For him to immediately pray after he had done all the wrong? He goes from having the worst opinion of these people who he's never met to praying for them by name here is the sign that full reconciliation has taken place. And they can now have true fellowship. Family, if we want to experience rich fellowship with one another in the body of Christ, we must pray sincerely and fervently for one another by name. I send out names every week. We pray for names every Sunday morning. We pray for one another. Because we want real fellowship. If we don't pray for one another... Our fellowship will be stunted and our replant will not be successful. Our church should not live if we do not pray for one another. We must intercede. When all is said and done, Abimelech would know two things about Abraham. Here was a man who was clearly a sinner and had some real trust issues with his God. But he would also know this. Here's a man who is willing to confess his sins and do whatever it takes to set things right. Beloved, what would Abimelech think of you? What would he think of us? Are you known by a fear of man or by a fear of the Lord? Are you trustworthy? Integrity? Or are you prone to lies, and deceit? Are you faithful to your spouse? Do you flee from adultery? Do you confess your sins both to people and to God? Are you humble enough to do whatever it takes to set things right with someone you are in conflict with? Do you pray for others by name, interceding for them as if their own illnesses were your illnesses? Do you trust the sovereign hand of the Almighty with your life? Praise Mm -hmm. be to God that Christ intercedes for us. Let's trust in Him fully and the power of His resurrection that He can take deceivers like us and make us men and women of faith, integrity, obedience, all to the praise of His glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would make us more true. That we might have fellowship with you and that we might have fellowship with others. We claim to be a people of the truth. We claim to know the way, the truth, and the life. We claim to have been set free by the truth. Oh, I pray that we would not be found to be liars in our community that we would blaspheme our God and make you a liar. Anybody here today who may not have the truth in them, oh, Father, I pray that you would break their hard, stony heart and you'd save them by the power of your word, which says that you will save those who call upon you. This is your truth. We're, We're asking you to do your truth. Save, Father, and all of us, Lord, who have been found guilty. Thank you for the guiltlessness of Christ. That was our final sacrifice and His resurrection that calls us to be set free again still today from our sins. Let us be true. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to another message from the pulpit ministry of Main Street Baptist Church in Spindale, North Carolina. I hope that your soul has been edified as a result of hearing the word of God preached and that God will continue to be glorified in your life as you worship Jesus. If you have any questions about the message you heard today, feel free to uh, check us out online and send an email. You can find us at www.mainstreetspindale.com or you can call us directly at 828-286-2291. Hope you have a wonderful day. God bless.